0: Welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie, I'm your host Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies, I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears, and since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So I'm continuing my theme of Becoming Your True Self, It's Pride Month, Be Proud of Who You Are, with 1983's The Hunger, directed by Tony Scott, starring Catherine Deneuve as Miriam, David Bowie as John, Susan Sarandon as Sarah, Cliff DeYoung as Tom, Beth Ehlers as Alice, and Dan Hedaya as Lieutenant Algraza. Sorry if I butchered that name. (laughs) So for Horn History, we definitely got like the fear of growing old, the fear of dying, um, trying to find ways to reverse aging, um, any ways to like stop us from dying, stop us from growing old. I think we also got loneliness, like the fear of spending the rest of your life alone, um, always trying to find human connection um, and not, like I said, not spending the rest of your life alone in loneliness. And then I think it also reflects on disposable relationships. You know, when someone gets too old for you, you're done with them or it's easy for you to move from one person to another kind of aspect, if that makes any sense. So for psychology and mental health, we got addiction, growing old, loneliness, female sexuality, trauma, dynamics in relationships, narcissism, not just narcissistic personality disorder, just plain old narcissism, uh, separation, anxiety, obsession, and dependency. So today on the show, I have a special guest today. Um, Her name is Ruby Toomsday. She's a go-to person I have for the show. I'm always asking her questions, and she's always been very helpful for me. Uh, Ruby, what I'd like to do is have you introduce yourself, promote anything you want to promote, uh, let me know why you like horror movies, and then why you wanted to talk about this movie today.
1: Hi. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Like I said, I am Ruby Toomsday. Um, From the Ruby Tombstay Horror Show and the Tombstay Toy Shop Podcast. Um, We do live horror hosting every Saturday on Streamlounge.io, where we can actually watch movies together live, in sync, cam and cam, and uh, with a live chat and everything else. So we get to respond and interact with the audience as we go. It's a whole lot of fun. Big party every time. Um, uh, Especially coming up the end of this month, we have our Screams of Pride promotion which is going to be a weekend long pride party of horror movies that we're going to be streaming with special guests and prizes and giveaways and everything all raising money to support the trevor project which is a a uh, organization to provide services for at-risk lgbtqia youth in particular with crisis mitigation and uh uh suicide support yes yeah, so like t- uh,
0: that's going talking- to be
1: june 24th,
0: 24th. sorry like I said, I was, I'm hoping to be a no part worries. of that. So <laughs> I definitely would like to hopefully figure out a way to awesome. be a part of that. So definitely want to be a part of that. Um, I think it's a great uh, organization. I just learned about it. Sorry, I haven't known about it in the past. I'm still learning a lot of things. But I think it's what I've been reading about. It's a good organization. I'm glad there's something out there for people. Like I said, I've, I'm not LGBTQ, but I've still been in that dark place of wanting to go that route I didn't obviously but you know I have I have been there so in that aspect I can relate to some of these people as I know that mindset and hitting that dark spot and feeling like there's no return um like I said luckily I pulled myself out I have a daughter I have to think about her but I'm glad there's organizations out there for people because there's a lot of people out there who they need that support and they need that help so I'm glad for that
1: they're they're a great organization, great people, um, really easy to, to partner and work with too. So that makes it really nice.
0: So why did you? Um, sorry, why did why do you like horror movies? And then why did you want to do today's movie, The Hunger?
1: Well, in general, I like horror movies for the sake of catharsis they provide. Um, I am an anxiety and depression patient, uh, so they're a great. Not just escapism, because any kind of movie can potentially provide escapism, but they provide that catharsis. There's that, that, that tension and tension release uh, cycle that you go through over and over again in the course of a movie and horror movie provides that like nothing else. Um, I love how limitless they can potentially be depending upon the, the, the genre you're watching. Uh, so there's so much more you can get away with in this particular genre than even sci-fi or fantasy. Um, I think that the, while it has rules for the genre at the same time, I think it has a little more freedom to explore. Um, I grew up without horror movies as a kid. It was just one of those things that was very uh, verboten in my household. We didn't do, they, you know, my parents didn't allow Halloween, not the, not the movie or the holiday. No. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, it was one of those things I missed out on and they kept on oh, how evil it's going to be and yada, 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 how dangerous and. Then I finally get to see the movies that, that they were warning me against, like, this is what you're worried about. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, so I enjoyed that whole reclaiming the childhood aspect of things, too. Um, the hunger in particular, well, I mean, first of all, you can't turn down anything Bowie. You just, it, it's sacrosanct, you know? And then Bowie and Sarandon. I was actually a member of, of a Rocky Horror Shadowcast in Austin for a while.
0: Uh, what part did you play?
1: I played Eddie, Meatloaf's part.
0: Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's a fun part.
1: Um, I always... Once or twice, Dr. Scott, too.
0: Oh, really? I always wanted to be Magenta. Great bit. Yeah, I always wanted to just curl my hair crazy and be Magenta. I should probably just cosplay her sometime, because I absolutely love Magenta. She's my favorite part. She's awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, that oh, you were saying... Um, about Bowie. Um, one of the movies I grew up on, I know this is sidetracking, which I always do, was Labyrinth. It was one of my favorite movies growing up. My mom Me and too. I would, yeah, my mom and I would watch it all the time together. And I just remember loving David Bowie in it. He was just, as Jareth, oh, he was so cute. I can understand why my mom wanted to watch it all the time now. Right. So. And, you know, moving on to the movie, he was amazing in this movie. And I was going to say, one of the first things, um, in this movie that I definitely picked up on was the whole like idea of like the fear of growing old and the fear of dying because of uh, the little girl Alice even states at one point she's like, "Yeah, that's what my dad says um she's afraid of growing old, and that was the first thing I picked up on was this whole aspect of in general this movie, and there's a lot more it focuses on, but that's the first thing I picked up on was the whole idea of like the fear of growing old, the fear of dying, like you know even. David Bowie's character, John, when he knows that this change in him is going to happen, he's scared because he was told he could live forever. And then now he's going to age and he's going to grow old. So I just didn't know if that was something you picked up on or just something that you noticed. It's just, and it's a genuine fear. Like it is.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny that a movie, about a vampire has so little to do with actual vampirism. Um, it's really about things like the fear of dying, the fear of growing old, the fear of, fear of growing old alone and having to live alone. You yeah. Know, the, the hunger here really isn't, doesn't seem to be bloodlust. The hunger here is uh, companionship, human touch, you know, that, that having somebody in your world. Um, and I, I, I love that take. I mean, this movie doesn't read like any other vampire movie I've ever seen. It's about so much more. And it's kind of just, it's a framing mechanism. It's not the story, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I was thinking that too. Like I said, I was expecting, like I said, I've never seen this movie. It's been on my to watch list and I'm kind of mad that I've never seen it before. Cause it's so good. But the vampirism seems to take a backseat. Like you said to what's really going on. And that was the other thing I picked up on was the whole idea of, Loneliness, you know, I think I read somewhere that Miriam, the character of Miriam is supposed to be about 6,000 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she's lived a very long time, but I noticed some of the things she does is she's scared to be alone. Like it's that. So I'll get more on that later about the relationships, but I noticed that she's, she's afraid to be alone. So as soon as she knows one of her, her lovers is starting to do that change, she's already in the process of finding someone else. And I'm wondering if it has to do with that. Maybe even though she's lived 6,000 years, like maybe she's still scared to someday grow old and that she might potentially die. But I think it definitely talks about that fear. And, and I will admit it's a fear I have I'm turning 40 this year and it's hit me like a ton of bricks and it's been really hard. Like, I don't like the idea of turning 40 and I don't like the idea that I'm going to die someday and not exist. And I don't know what that means. So I definitely, as I was watching this movie could relate a lot to that message of growing old and the fear (laughs) of dying. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I can definitely understand that. Um, Personally, 40 didn't really hit me. I just didn't care, but I'm 49 come August of this year. Um, So that feels a lot more impactful for me than anything else, you know, um, there's that part of like, wow, wow. I haven't gotten crap done. I have (laughs) just, you know, um, that whole thing. Uh, I didn't expect to make it to 40. Um, I was pronounced dead twice by the time I was two years old.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Um, I wasn't supposed to have made it to term, then I did. I wasn't supposed to make it to six months, then I did, but I did actually die at least twice, pronounced twice uh, by the time I was two, all kinds of health complications and things like this. Um and I'm still here, but I always had it in my head that I'm gonna hit 40 and that's gonna be it. I just could not see anything past that. So it was I was just kinda I've been preparing for that all of my life expecting that to kind of be the, the goalpost you know mm-hmm. and when, when nothing happened I just quit thinking about it <laughs> um well,
0: good though just stop thinking about it and otherwise you're gonna be like a worry wart like me where like I literally a few nights ago had a panic attack and started crying because the idea of not existing just flooded over me and freaked me out I wish I, I could look more like it's part of life but I don't know I think it's the unknown and I, Thinking that too, I'm wondering if that has to do with you know the characters in this movie, because I just put it down, um Miriam even says at one point when she's holding cradling John as he's turned old in a matter of a day, and she's like, There's no release, my darling, no rest, no letting go. Humankind are one way, we are another. Their end is final, ours is not in the earth, in the rotting wood, in the eternal darkness, we see and hear and feel, so they're not even dying they're they're basically just forever I I guess forever aging and they're stuck in those wooden coffins to forever just continue to live and I remember John even saying at one point like just release me kill me like I'd rather die than live like this so again another big aspect I noticed in this movie was that whole idea which sorry I think leads into the whole idea of Another thing I th- I saw in this movie was disposable relationships coinciding with the loneliness. You know, sh- I don't, it was when she met Sarah that I realized, does she even ask these people if they want to be with her or does she just turn them against their will, assuming, as she said, like, you'll learn to love me. And then once they get too old, she doesn't even like release them she almost like collects her lovers in these coffins and sticks them up in the attic so I don't know it was just something that I started also picking up on was like so is Miriam a good person is she holding on to these lovers because she really does truly love them and she just physically can't let them go or is she afraid of being alone so she sticks them in these coffins and puts them upstairs and as soon as they start growing old, she immediately finds someone else and doesn't even, like, she doesn't even ask Sarah. She just turns her and's like, you're just going to love me. Like, and I kind of was like, I don't know how I feel about that. That's a little, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot. It is. Going on. Um,
1: it's kind of the classic uh, clinical narcissism kind of a relationship. Um, we don't get any evidence that she asks anybody anything. Um, she kind of she draws them in, which I presume is some form of a glamour. Mm-hmm. Um, she brings them in and because like in, in the case of Sarandon's character, she didn't even remember that the turning had happened. Right. That had to be told to her that, that what had gone on. Uh she had no memory of the whole thing. So there's obviously no real consent. Because you know, it's it's the same as being drunk or unconscious or whatever. You're you know, you're you're not able to consent in that time. So no, she is absolutely in my opinion, just gathering these people to fill her own need, each time I think, kind of tragically hoping that this will be the one time that it works, you know, um, that this won't happen. Um, I think she desperately wants, just wants that relationship and I don't think she actually wishes what happens to all of them on them, Mm -hmm. but there comes a point where if you continue to keep trying, you're culpable regardless, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that she does actually love them, at least the very much uh, Lolia and uh, John. Um, But it's definitely not a healthy love at all.
0: No, John Um, was the one I thought that because she was so, um, not desperate, but like very much wanted to find a cure for him. Like she really was trying to find a way to stop the aging from happening I do. I I agree. I think she definitely um, loved John and I couldn't remember the name of it. Lolia, is that what you said? I can't. Yeah. I could never understand. I I love Catherine Deneuve, but her accent at times were very thick and I had a hard time understanding what she was saying. But I do remember there was a character with Lolia, is her name. I do think she loved her and I think she definitely loved John because she was trying to find a cure for him. So, but it is this thing about like, they, in the end, they were disposable. Like she moves on to someone else and yeah, she needs to fill that need for whatever reason, you know, and maybe it's cause she's 6,000 years old and she doesn't want to spend eternity alone. She is trying to find, like you said, that one that can just like, she's crossing her fingers. Like this one will work. This one will work. And it, in the end, it it doesn't. So I definitely need to get plays, like you said, on loneliness.
1: But. I think so and i have I've seen that kind of loneliness happen before, like you know um my father uh was twenty five years younger than my mother, and mom passed in uh two thousand eight at seventy eight years old serves but uh you know she passed in may of oh eight and he announced his engagement to me on my birthday in August that same year.
0: Oh, wow. That's soon. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it was just, you know, mom had been sick for a while, um, basically fighting cancer without medical. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember your dad ended up in that relationship when he was 17 and, you know, 38 years later, you know he loses the only person he's been with.
0: Right. Um
1: so while I don't know that how ideal that move is mm-hmm. I can kind of get it, you know. Um but he never really took that time to experience being himself by himself.
0: Right. He, uh, he that's all he knew was right. your mom. It's,
1: right. So right. yeah. So I can I've I can kind of see where she's coming from. No, I mean, absolutely. Uh, You know, more power to you, sister, but that's not how you go about things.
0: (laughs) Right, that's Uh, what I was just thinking. Offering
1: offering somebody that chance at longevity, even if not immortality, and it's kind of cool they make the distinction in the dialogue in the movie. But uh, she's promising forever, not a very long time. If she promised a very long time ahead of time and they agreed, then that's on them. But again, we're back to informed consent, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that was something else I was thinking of. I'm like, why is she promising? But it, but it is obvious that she tells them about it because John was aware of it. He asked, he's like, how long does it take? Like, how long do I have? So she has warned him about it, but it is kind of upsetting that she waits until she turns them, promises, like you said, immortality, and then turns around and goes, oh, by the way, it's not, it is forever, but you're going to grow old at some point and you're just going to kind of keep decomposing forever. And it's like, and then she tells him that there's no way to, to die. Like you can't release them from this prison. Like that's really kind of upsetting. And like I said, I, and I, I do see what you're saying. Like maybe she just wants companionship. And I think in the end, it's kind of human nature to want mm-hmm. companionship, to not want to spend your life alone it's lonely to do that um I can definitely relate to that in an aspect that since my ex-husband left um I four and it was a month before actually my mom passed away of cancer wow. um I haven't even gone on a date and I'm not gonna lie like I'm, I'm lonely I caught COVID last week and it was the first really first time that I realized how alone I was I didn't really have anybody to help out. Like I didn't have someone to, my dad helped out with Himera, which isn't his job, but he does it. Um, I have Himera. I'm not saying she's not enough, but it is, it did hit me like I'm going to be 40 and I'm alone. And I haven't even tried to put myself out there and it has nothing to do with my ex-husband. It has to do with me. I'm just not comfortable in my skin to go put myself out there. So I definitely, I guess in that aspect, can, Relate to Miriam in that sense of like no one really wants to go alone. It's human nature to try to find a connection with someone that you can spend the rest of your life with. But I agree that the way she goes about it is definitely wrong. She, right, that's not okay. She should at least explain in full what they're getting into. So right.
1: Well, I love a complex villain, and that's definitely what we've got here. I love it when uh, we are given a story where the villain has a very understandable way of how they got there, why they are, are who they are, why they do what, they you know, do an actual legitimate motive rather than Superman made ball bald. Now I'm going to be evil, you know. That's mm-hmm. actually the whole backstory behind Lex Luthor. <laughs> Believe it or not. He lost his hair, and that's why he's Superman's greatest enemy. Um, but I, I, love, I love it when we get more than that, you know, and that's why I love... Uh, uh, Claude Prolo in, in Hunchback. You know he's driven mad by his vows and by his desire. And it, that conflict that it presents inside of him. We get hold that whole thing. Um, here we absolutely understand that driving need for partnership, companionship, touch. You know, um, just someone to be that close to. Uh, we so I could yeah, you can absolutely understand. And he, when you that bothers us after a few years or sooner or longer, but, you know, it depends upon the individual. That bothers anybody to some degree. Um, then you think about the fact that, you know, she's in her sixth millennia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that, that's, almost, that's almost impossible to get the head around of how driving that must be under those circumstances. You have to be, have that kind of sense of deprivation for experience. There's a point where you, I can see you would do anything to avoid it you know, not justifying, but you understand the reasoning.
0: Right. Because I think it said too, that he's, John's like 300 years old. So it seems like that's probably, so imagine just how many lovers she's gone through in 6,000 years. Them, their longevity is 300. Like that's a lot of people to kind of cycle through. Definitely. Um, Yeah. It's a good movie, though. I love it. I think, um, me too. And and another thing I really liked about it was the whole idea of the LGBTQ aspect wasn't, and again, correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, forced. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen other movies where it seems very forced. Like, it's like, oh, now we're going to have two girls make out, you know, or we're going to have this because, you know, because we're edgy. And I'm like, if it's forced, like, I don't, that's not, I don't think that's a good thing. I think, you should let it in this movie. It's part of the storyline. It's part of Miriam. It's part of who she is. Like you said, John even says, like talks about one of his, her old lovers, who was a female. And I think it just flowed Mm -hmm. so organically in this movie and it didn't take away from the storyline. It was part of the storyline. And I guess that I think it just flowed so beautifully. I actually absolutely loved, even though she was turning the character of Sarah, I do love that scene between them when they're talking and then it turns into her spilling the sherry and then they get, she's there, she's undressing and they're starting to have a very intimate um, moment. It just, the way it flowed wasn't like trying to be like forced to you. It was just a beautiful scene. Like it's gorgeous, the music, the lighting, everything, the camera work was just amazing. And that's one of the things I loved about this movie was I think they did a really good job putting the lgbtq aspect in it without making it dirty or making it right you know what i mean am i saying that right like i just oh absolutely
1: beautiful it was gorgeous and it was an absolute love story and it was very organic like you said it 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 was it made perfect sense to be in the story it made perfect sense that these things happened um it wasn't a there wasn't a real come on at any point it was just kind of a they found each other, kind of a thing, uh, and it was beautifully shot. Uh, it was incredibly, legitimately romantic. Um, yes. there, there, it wasn't lascivious. It wasn't lewd. It was. It was this absolute, true love scene, and you know, uh, kudos all of that. And also, let's t- you know, I like to to mention the fact that this is a movie with bisexual characters in it. That they didn't hang a lantern on it. It's just who they were. Um, Mm -hmm. And we had a bisexual actor in the cast. That is amazing. And interestingly enough. The bisexual actor in the cast. Was the only character that wasn't outright bisexual. Or pan. Um, Because Bowie himself. Was openly bi during his whole career. And. uh, There's a beautiful interview. And there's clips of it on YouTube. So you can find it easily enough. But it's him doing a BBC television interview. And they try to bring up his sexuality, and they said, well you, they, you've said before that you're you're biases. that's right, I am next question, please move on right. and he says, "Well, doesn't that truly mean then that you're gay? No, I'm bisexual. I answered that. move on, and he's just not getting flustered, but staying in complete control of the conversation and just kind of forces her to drop it and move on with the rest of the interview because I've already answered that. What's there to say, you know uh yes. so beautifully handled I, I that's one of the reasons i adore the man
0: oh uh, yeah he yeah now i'm trying to figure out how long he was with iman it's like 30 something years or something yeah <sighs> to be with someone that's yeah. yeah it was very sad when he died didn't they isn't he didn't he also um say uh, and of course i'm probably gonna pronounce the word wrong androgynous mm-hmm. is that is that the right word okay because i remember always seeing um Seeing him like that was very endearing. He's a beautiful man, and he could oh, gorgeous. wear anything and mm-hmm. just be himself fully. And I, it's one thing I've always admired about Bowie was just he, like you said, I'm gonna have to look that interview up now. Is that he just wasn't afraid to be himself. He just was like, "This is who I am," and just let it be, because well, that's he's how it one should of be. the few
1: people. Uh, oh, absolutely! That's how it should be, amen. Um, he's one of the few people that managed to. Have entire personas that he will go through, um, not just album to album, but like for a year or two at a time. So, we've got uh, the Major Tom era, we've got Ziggy Stardust, we've got uh, the Thin White Duke, which happens to be one of my favorites just because he's being sarc- so sarcastic all the way through that stage of his life. <laughs> and it's like, I, you know, I, I'm a part of the British aristocracy now, I'm gonna make fun of the British aristocracy while I'm at it, <laughs> you know. Um, so just the fact that he was always so self-determined through his career, I find fascinating. Of course, I love his music and I love his acting. Um, it's, it's just a man that that gaunt and still that gorgeous. Is, <laughs> it's kind of a, such a hard thing to understand. But, yeah, he could absolutely be anybody he wanted to be and have it feel completely natural like he'd been that person all of his life. Yeah. So much I, so I really think that that he was just exploring aspects of himself mm-hmm. through this time I could go on for probably forever I'll, I'll oh, no, that's, <laughs>
0: that's okay i just think I just think it's great that um and very i don't know what else the word to say but just very proud of him that he during his career could stand by who he was, especially like when this movie was made you know it was during a time where sadly the lgbtq community had to hide who they were and they couldn't be open and honest and otherwise they were treated horribly by society oh yeah and you know the fact that there are some people out there like bowie who could still stand up and say like this is who i am and i'm this is who i am and i'm proud of who i am I, and especially during that time is i probably i feel like would be a a great role model for a lot of the lgbtq community would be someone definitely like him who could just i agree step up and say no this is this is who i am and one thing to admire that's what i I want to say admire about him is that he was never afraid to be who he was and just accept himself you know absolutely i think that's great and like i said when this movie came out it was pushing boundaries like i said in 1983 it's You know, that wasn't something people were ready for. But this movie was like, sorry, this is part of our story. This is a beautiful story. This is a love story between, Mm -hmm. you know, Miriam and John and Sarah and these relationships that she has. And it's, we're going to show it in a beautiful way. But like I said, the music's amazing. The the way that they like different scenes. Like the opening scene was one that really just pulled you right in, in my opinion, was this just... You're seeing this rock band play, but then it's flashing back to those two as they're looking for their next meal, I guess would be the right word. But it's just the way that it just flashes back and forth and the lighting on them and the music that's playing. It's just like everything about this movie was just gorgeous. And I'm, I'm just so mad. I took so long to watch it. Okay.
1: I'm right there with you on that, especially that opening, opening scene. I do want to talk about that because yeah. uh, I'm sitting there watching this going, I, I know that voice. I know this. I, I know that face. Oh, this is, driving me crazy. And then I hear the opening lines. It's, oh my God, it's Bella Lugosi's dead. That's Bauhaus. This is amazing. <laughs> and that's why the shots look so familiar. I even mentioned This reminds me of, of Bauhaus. And then he opens his mouth. Oh my God, it is. <laughs> um, if you watch the actual video for Bella Lugosi's dead, it's like a 12 minute, 12 and a half minute song. It's a long video, but it's shot almost identically. To the opening sequence of The Hunger, oh! So I don't know, cool. yeah. So I don't know if that sequence was shot to resemble the video or vice versa, um, but it, that was just extra treat I, I, you know, died the wolf girl. I love uh, Bauhaus, and you know, to op- thats a perfect movie to open up with, and it. And it it sets the mood, okay, we're going to have this vampire movie. And then they left turn entirely away from all other expectations of a vampire movie. I mean, how they feed is even different, you know? Um, but it's such a great opening sequence and cutting in the stuff from the lab while, you know, the, the after party where they're feeding, all this stuff thrown in mixed so manic. Um, to go from that frenetic sequence into a very languid movie it, it should not work. And somehow it absolutely does. Um, the cinematography on this thing is incredible. It was actually—I forget—I have my notes here in front of me. Oh no, no, not anymore. I don't. Um, <laughs> but it was actually the movie. The director of photography was inspired by this existing working gallery photographer. Oh. So the way they set up their shots, etc., were all inspired by this one photographer's work. And it, it, it's you. You don't expect a vampire movie to be an actual legitimate art film, and this one is.
0: It really is, yeah. I mean, they throw a lot of the stuff out of the books. They um, like they can be out in the sun. The, there's no mm-hmm. mention of silver, garlic. The only thing that is they seem to take from traditional lore is that they feed on blood and they live a long time. And that's about it. But everything else, they kind of made their own. They didn't even really make their own lore. They just took what they wanted and then just made, like I said, this beautiful story out of it like you said I feel like it shouldn't have worked but it it's a it's all I can say the whole time I'm watching it I was like this is such an amazing movie like I'm usually not captured so much by the cinematography and music I'm usually always trying to find the psychology in in a horror movie that's usually the first thing I'm drawn to but this movie just pulled me right in with the music and the shots and I was like oh my gosh this is just fantastic Beautiful and I can't even say anything more about the movie than it was just such a beautifully done movie and like I said everything flowed nothing ever seemed very forced in the movie everything was just this beautiful story and then you're trying to figure things out and like I said you do and I I do and even though of course again I jump back and forth sorry I do feel bad kind of for Miriam sometimes I don't like I said I don't think the way she went about it was right but I definitely feel for her in a way, is the whole idea of like, you're living forever. Just imagine living forever alone, like how lonely that would be to just continue Mm -hmm. to cycle through life. So like you said, I don't think the way she, she went about it was the right way, but you can kind of understand where, like you said, where she's coming from. It's just this, I'm living forever and I'm going to be lonely. And so she is a, yeah, she's a villain that you feel sorry for like maybe not sorry for but you can empathize with Mm -hmm. and sometimes those are the villains I really am drawn to are the villains that you can kind of empathize with you can kind of understand where they're coming from because then you can just I don't know you can kind of see the progression in them Candyman's a great example of that he's a, a villain that's very a sympathetic character once you read his once you see what he went through it's very understandable you know why he is the way he is Miriam too, I think it's just, you know, maybe she did go a long time without anyone and just realized this is going to be a very lonely route. And then maybe she had a hard time forming relationships. So she felt, I'll just, you know, I shouldn't do this, but I'll force it on a person, which again is not the right way to do it. Cause like I said, it's very heartbreaking to see Sarah when she comes back, which brings me into my next aspect was this movie definitely, I think reflects a lot on addiction like a lot of the aspects in this movie is an addict in what they're going through. And a part of me feels like the way Miriam um, turns Sarah is almost, you know, um, reflecting on addiction. Like here is something, you know, try this, you know, not even try this. Like I'm going to just do this. And then Sarah has every withdrawal symptom there is. And she's completely like, withdrawing and has to go to Miriam and be like, what did you do to me? So I think it definitely reflects a lot on the whole addiction aspect of, you know, not just any kind of addiction. It could be drugs or alcohol, or even there's people who are addicted to relationships or addicted to, you know, working out. Like, it's just, I think it can relate to all that, but there was something else I was looking at was the way she goes about it almost can mimic addiction, and then when Sarah comes back, and she's like, "What did you do to me? Tell me what you did!" Like, and she's shaking and sweating and very hard to watch what yes. Sarah's going through.
1: Definitely. Well, you know, I think that's beautifully symbolized in how the she is turned. Because during the love that you see the, you know, the, the 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 neck is never the point. The slashes that everybody else gets when they're getting fed upon, isn't it? She, she makes a hole right in the the elbow where, the, where you would put the needle mm-hmm. and that's how they exchange blood in both cases. Um Just symbolizing again, like you said, that, that drug, that addiction um, uh, from Miriam's side, of course, it's absolutely the addiction to relationships, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that absolute dependency upon that. And then, you know, poor, poor Sarah, who's didn't sign up for any of this, you know, What's going on? What happened? What did you do? All the aftermath of that we've seen too many times in right. real life of people get not wanting that situation but having it thrust upon them. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think that it speaks to that in, in uh, many ways. Uh, I actually rewatched the movie this morning again right before we went <laughs> we went to record um, just to be sure, just to like refresh some things because it's easy to get lost in how beautiful the presentation of the film is mm-hmm. that you can get so wrapped up in just the, the shot and the lighting and the music and the composition that you make that you, I find anyway uh, losing moments of the, of the story mm-hmm. just because I'm lost in how beautiful the presentation is. Um, I love how Sarah's boyfriend in the film is desperately wanting to help desperately wanting mm-hmm to take care of her and rescue her, et cetera. And at the same time is so absolutely clueless about everything, really. I mean, yeah. not just what's happening to her, because how could you see that coming? How right. could you, uh, you know, assess that from the outside? Mm-hmm. But uh, how he approaches her, about, oh, well, you mean you were with this person for three and a half hours just talking to this? Time? You know, that, it's so brutal and almost tox- toxic masculine at that uncomfortable dinner party, a dinner scene rather. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, he loves her, but he's got his own kind of jealousy thing going on, too. So no one's cleanly in their relationship anywhere in this entire movie.
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot of these relationships in this movie are not um, healthy relationships. Because that was the other thing I was thinking was after I started, you know, towards the end of the movie when I was seeing the whole Sarah and the addiction aspect, I was like, so are these people actually in love with Miriam? Or are they just in the end addicted to her like they after a while feel like they need her so maybe I mean I still think her and John like I said like, I, the fact that she was really trying to help him but maybe they do grow to love her but at first I'm like it almost seems like like because she does say like you will learn to it was like, I wrote it down now of course I don't know where my notes I wrote it but <laughs> Miriam at Sarah looks at her and says you will learn or you will grow to love me like I changed you you'll live forever. You'll never grow a day old. Um, you are mine and you will learn to love me. And that's kind of another area where I started thinking like that could be a reflection on addiction is like, you'll learn to, you know, that they're addicted to her because then they need her. And she, and then she says at one point, you'll, you'll get hungry and you'll need me to show you how to feed. Like you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to get hungry for, you know, your substance and I'm going to have to show you how to get that so yeah the first one's
1: like free you like to buy more
0: yeah exactly um so it definitely reflects on that yeah absolutely
1: um oh gosh i have one give me a sec
0: oh no go ahead <laughs> <laughs> That's why i say um all um, the time in my show i'm like um i'm trying to remember what i was thinking it happens all the time
1: <laughs> oh um it, uh, and this has almost nothing to do with anything but i found Oh, that's what it was. Got it. Got it. Got it. Ha ha ha! <laughs> See if I blustered long enough, that I can get there. <laughs> Alice, the the young girl who comes over there for the music, mm-hmm. I don't even want to say lessons. Just comes over to play.
0: I think so. Um yeah.
1: Her relationship isn't even clean. I mean, if anything, the most wholesome relationship in the movie is just her hanging out with the Blaylocks. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she's stealing uh, quaaludes from her mother. Yep. Who's apparently addicted to every kind of drug that there is. She, you know, she says she collects pills.
0: Yeah, um, she's, she's afraid carrying of quaaludes.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's carrying her mother's quaaludes in her violin case. Um, I kind of wish we had had more Alice in the movie. I did even too. Even though I was... her kind of energy, <laughs> yeah, uh, her energy is kind of an outlier in the film. But she's younger. She's more frenetic. She's you know, coarser than anyone mm-hmm. else in the movie. Um, none of these bad things. Just it's it just happens to be who Alice is, mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of get why she's there, s- storytelling wise, just because you know you have the the scene where twice in a row John fails to feed because he's just getting too feeble to mm-hmm. have the uh, the the melee. So you know he he picks the the next. You know, available option. Um, I've never thought I would see a scene like that one portrayed so eerily beautifully. I mean, it was very Hitchcockian in the sense mm-hmm. that all of the gruesomeness happens pretty much off the page. You're giving visual cues over what happened, but nothing is, it's just not thrown in your face for shock value. Mm-hmm. Um, you can feel that how much he means it when he says, I'm so sorry. You know, it's legitimate. He does not want to do this. He thinks the world of Alice. Yes. But, you know, I, I think, oh, but it's, yeah. So I don't think there's a single healthy relationship, not even with the monkeys in the lab.
0: No. Anywhere they, eat the yeah. <laughs> they eat each other. So. Yeah. They eat each other. Yeah, I like, I, I, Alice was an aspect that I wasn't expecting. I was wondering if it was maybe to show um, that even though they're vampires, they're still very much normal like they have their lives and you know this look this girl comes over maybe probably to escape her you know home life and she sees John and Miriam maybe she looks at them as a healthy relationship so maybe she, that's why she's drawn to them as I want to be with be. them and it is a hard scene to watch and you know it's coming up too and I at first I was like no they're not gonna they're not gonna do that are they and then they do. And and you can tell it too that Miriam's heartbroken by it when she yeah. finds out what John had done. And I do agree. John was definitely sorry. He did not want to do that. He probably felt like he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. But when Miriam out, finds out, she was heartbroken by it too. Yes. So she does have some human aspects. I don't think she's, like I said, a bad character. I think she's just a sympathetic villain. Exactly. So, but it was a hard scene to watch but like you said it is beautifully shot everything they do in this movie is just beautifully done and like you said it's not like in your face it's not it's everything's just gorgeous and that's like all i'm gonna say throughout this whole show is like this movie's beautiful everyone needs to that watch could be it. the
1: entire yeah that could be the entire review just that sentence right there yeah right <laughs> roll credits um yep
0: that's it we're done yep. it's beautiful <laughs>
1: I think if I had to describe this movie any other way for someone who hadn't seen it yet is it's the anti fam the mm-hmm. movie with, with uh chris Jones it's it's almost the exact opposite of that film uh now that one tried that one has its artistic moments as well it's definitely a there to be uncomfortable to be weird to be bizarre that's mm-hmm. its whole driving force and just kind of gently shock with just how weird it is mm-hmm. where this film doesn't go down that road at all. It's, it's absolutely beautiful and tells a genuine story. That's just about relationships and addiction yeah. and need and loneliness. Um, and I, I know I said it at the beginning of this, but it's, you know, to have vampirism work as just a framework for the story, just as a kind of a setting to make the time longer is yeah. I think a brilliant way to tell the story.
0: Yeah, I think they they tackled a lot of issues that were very important I think important at the time to mm-hmm. be brought to attention. And that's another thing I love about horror movies. Horror movies push the envelope, but they also bring important aspects to a viewer's attention. I've written a few papers now about horror movies and one of the things in one of the papers I had written was if you want to know if you want a history lesson, put on a horror movie. You will know exactly what was going on in that decade because it reflects on a lot of different aspects, but it reflects a lot on what was going on at the time in a way that sometimes is right there. Sometimes it's metaphor. Sometimes it's characters. Sometimes it's the monsters are representing something, but they're not afraid to take these real issues and say, hey, this is what was going on. And you know, even a movie like this is bringing a lot of issues to say like, hey, like this is what was going on in the world. This is what's going on. And we just want to make you aware of it. And they do it beautifully. Again, it's not like Mm -hmm. shoved in your face. It's not made dirty. And like I said, forced. It's just this beautiful story. Like you said, the vampirism takes a back seat, but it is part of the story. But they tackle so much. And that's what one of the reasons I love horror movies. They tackle so many different things. And this movie does it beautifully. Like I said, there it goes. Keep saying beautiful. Um, One of the other things I wanted to quickly talk about was the ending because kind of flip I don't know how I feel like I liked it but I don't so I read that um, Susan Sarandon had said that the original ending was that Sarah was supposed to die that she wasn't supposed to live and Miriam wasn't supposed to die and a part of me was like I feel like Sarah dying would fit the narrative because by Sarah dying it leaves Miriam in her greatest fear which is loneliness so it would be very symbolic of that. Of like, well, I'm taking my life and now you're now you're going to be alone until you can find someone else, which I think was very, um, I think would have been a good ending too. But then I was watching, I was trying to think too, I'm like, well, there had to be a reason why they changed it. And I know they changed it where Sarah is alive. Um, she doesn't die. Miriam's ages and ends up like John and all her other lovers. So I was wondering if that was supposed to be symbolic of the whole idea of disposable relationships, unhealthy relationships, anyone can be replaced because now Miriam's been replaced. Sarah's now Miriam. Miriam's put again in an area she had feared, which is up there in the coffin alone, aging. So I don't know. Like I I, I like both ideas because again I had to find I'm trying to find the meaning in them in the sim- symbolism. So a part of me thinks the idea of Sarah dying would have been better because then yeah Miriam's alone but then again, the ending they did choose shows like anyone's replaceable, you know when it comes to unhealthy relationships, anyone's disposable, and Miriam still ends up where she feared, which is in that coffin alone for eternity. so I don't know what you thought of the ending
1: I think that of the two options i kinda of, I think I like the way they shot it to be honest, I think I like that best. um my thoughts on i could absolutely Sarah having. Died, it's like John did, would make sense. But we've already seen what happens when Miriam does, when that happens, is Miriam goes out and replaces somebody else mm-hmm. with him with somebody else. Um, we would have had to have had a very clear, somehow she managed to kill Miriam kind of a thing for that to really resolve rather than just be open ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I like the idea of the abuser, which admittedly is what Miriam actually is. True. The abuser losing finally, they meet that one person who's strong enough to say, "You know, no, this isn't how things are going to be," mm-hmm. and fights back. And just you know, it's so self-determined that they don't fall victim to all of that. Um, and I think that kind of bears bears up with an almost throwaway scene when they in the lab when she's first trying to figure out what happened. Um, they talk about the the two strains of blood. And then they're fighting back and forth for dominance. I think that ultimately what happened is just that Sarah was stronger than any of the others. I think mm-hmm. it's just that she managed to overcome and take control of that situation, um, which is her arc in the, in, through the whole movie, because you know she's trying to control what's going on with the funding, what's going on with the research, what's going on with this. And they keep trying to say, well, no, we should do things this way. We should do things this way. He doesn't want to take the the videotapes. To the uh, to the uh, benefactors, because well he'll think we're crazy. It was like this is evidence. Go, this is part. This is the science. This is what we you know. Yeah. Come on. This is how we get our funding. Um. And he's saying, well, you know, well, what's more important is how they view what we're doing rather than the actual science or the truth of it. And she's all just not okay with that. She has to fight for that. She has to fight for her identity. And her relationship with her boyfriend. She has to fight for all of these things all the way through. And I think that it's just kind of a redemption arc for her at the very end. Where she gets to finally show everybody how strong she is. And no, damn it, I'm going to live life on my terms. Um, So I like that turn for Sarah's character. And I love Miriam getting exactly what she deserves. Helpless, alone, suffering the fate of what she's done to countless others over the, the millennia. Mm-hmm. and best of all her coffin is in a room by itself oh there's i didn't no, even notice that have,
0: yeah you're right she's she all is, by herself
1: she's... so oh, wow, yeah. yeah so john had uh lalia and he had all of the other people that had gone before at least they're with him to whatever degree she's got nobody there's nobody there for her to hear so she just spends the rest of her time calling up her sarah i think that's oh i love that idea
0: No, I didn't even notice that. that. I just I I forgot. All the other lovers, I think, actually do die when Miriam starts to wither away because they all start to kind of fall apart. So I guess there is release. Now that you're saying that about Sarah having to fight her way, I didn't even pick up on that. That's almost um, a reflection on women in general having Mm -hmm. to always fight in a man's world to almost prove ourselves that we're, you know, we can do it or we are smart or we are, you know knowledgeable so i didn't pick up on that until you just said that like it is definitely not an also, um sorry another reflection on history of like women always having to prove our always having to prove ourselves yeah why
1: and you know, yeah <laughs> and that goes back to your previous point too uh, of you know uh, horror movies reflecting what's going on in society at the time mm-hmm. and you know 83 it was still a loud part of the original liberation movement trying to say, no, oh, look, we can have our careers. We could do all of this. You know, that was a huge battle cry through the 80s. Um, and I'm not saying that the battle is over. Don't get me wrong. Oh, no. But <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right that, again, this is indicative of what's going on in society and commenting on that in a way that other genres tend not to be able to do, especially since they're, they have other other genres that have so much studio scrutiny that they just can't, and if they right. want to. You know, if they do it, they have to make it a, a romantic comedy. And yeah. This woman is uppity, isn't it? Hilarious? She thinks she's her own person. Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah, I'm not a fan of those movies. I watch some, but I'm Me not either. a fan. But I like horror movies because they do. Yeah. I was just telling a friend of mine, too, about, like, the movie um, Society, even though it's a, I love Society, it's like, it's like, look at the 80s hair and music and the shunting, like, look at these special effects. But at the same time, Brian Usna was really talking about how the rich treat the poor. In this movie that's a fun, entertaining movie, but still sneaks in that whole idea of like, no, this is what's going on. It's basically the the 1% eating the poor. They're consuming Mm -hmm. them in other ways, but he did it by consuming them. And George Romero was another good one of putting commentary in movies um, in a very entertaining way, but still being like, there's messages we gotta send. So it is, it's one of the things I love Mm -hmm. about horror movies. Like they can send a message, Um, without really being in your face and yeah sometimes us as viewers have to kind of pick our way through it but it's still there and sometimes yeah you you can't be afraid to show what's going on in the world these are this this is real life and this is what's happening and you know things like this need to be brought to attention which is one of the reasons why I love for me doing the show and trying to pick up on history and psychology and mental health is I think a lot of these things need to be brought to attention people need to hear this and people need to understand that the world isn't perfect now and it wasn't perfect then and there's a lot of stuff going on that needs to be fixed and at least horror movies had the balls to bring these things to people's attention I guess is what I'm trying to say I don't know Yep.
1: <laughs> so yeah absolutely And I think that the doing the work of picking it apart kind of uh, and kind of forces a level of I shouldn't say forces it sounds coercive, but it leads a person to question themselves well what's my take on this? Why do I feel about what's going on? If this bothers me, why? Mm-hmm. So I think that it can actually induce a whole lot of self-reflection that needs to happen. And the other beauty of it is, especially when you're going back and watching movies that are 20 plus years old, is you can, it gives you kind of a touchstone of, okay, everything's, everything sucks now. Have we made any progress? And You look back and it's okay, yeah, it may be slow, it may be small, but it's there. And that touchstone alone can be worth you know everything. Absolutely yeah. everything. So this is why I kind of bothered people and so, said, well, I love horror, but I'm not going to watch it, has been already been out for five years. It's like, you really need to. Yeah. You know, the modern stuff can be your favorite. Go for it. That's cool. Everybody has their favorite genre, subgenre.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, but, you know, if you're, a, if you're a diehard fan of the genre, opening yourself up and looking back at the rest of the form can give you all the more appreciation of not only where things were at the time versus where they are now, but where the art form itself is now versus where it was at the time. You know, um, a lot of the most successful stuff in the last 10 years have been going back to basics. You know, starting to touch on things like, uh, you know, new traditional slashers, like with the Leslie Vernon behind the mask or, uh, you know, revisiting monster movies like done with uh, Shape of Water and uh, The Invisible Man and to less degree the mummy. But uh, <laughs> I was not impressed with Cruz's work. But, um, you know, since all of that stuff is cyclical, I just find it invaluable to try to open yourself up to as much of it as possible so you can... I and mean, that's nice. That's how you end up finding what your, your actual favorite is.
0: Yeah, I've always been a fan of the slasher flicks. I don't know if it's just because that's what I first started watching when I was... I started watching when I was five, so... Um, I've told the story many times. Um, the first horror movie I ever watched was with my older brothers and sisters who are all in their 50s now. So, but I had been around scary things since I was little. Even before that, my mom would read me Stephen King books and tell me horror movies as bedtime stories. So I've awesome. been around it's been and it's actually part of my mom's Native American culture is they they tell the scary stories because they want to tell you what's out there. It's like teaching children what's out there, what can be out there and how to be safe, and also not to fear everything, you know, not to be scared of everything. Which is why I'm a big, big pusher that if your child is interested in horror movies, let them watch it. Um, I think a lot of children can relate more than we think. There's a lot of kids out there experiencing trauma, and I think horror movies can help them in a way, overcome that trauma by seeing someone on screen going through what they're going through and they overcome, they defeat their monster. That gives children a sense of hope that I too can, you know, rise above my abuser. I can, I can beat that bully. I can, I can do it too, because this, I watch this person do it too. And it gives them that sense Mm -hmm. of hope. I think it gives them um, autonomy. I let my daughter watch them and I remember one day we were watching Train to Busan and I was like, maybe this isn't the movie she should be watching. And then I kept telling her close her eyes. And then I started thinking, you know what? If I tell her to close her eyes, she's going to want to watch more. She might actually see something that scares her and then that could affect her. So instead I took a step back and said, honey, if you're scared, it's okay. Adults get scared too. Just cover your eyes or put the blanket over your head. I gave her full autonomy, self-control, and she chose what, she could handle what she could not. So again, I think it's another way of letting children learn autonomy and learn independence, learn self-control, learn what they can handle and cannot. So it obviously if your kid doesn't like it, don't let them watch it. But if they're interested, just I think kids comprehend more than we think. And I think and I think horror movies are a positive for a lot of children. A lot Mm -hmm. of people I know who started watching them at like the same age as me. I was severely bullied. So for me it was nice to see the bully kind of get it in the end because Mm -hmm. not not because they died but just symbolically that they didn't um you know not didn't survive but they didn't win in the end right was was always nice for me to see as a kid who was sometimes scared to go to school because i didn't know if i was going to get thrown in a wall or punched in the face and as the teachers just sat there and did nothing so horror movies i think are great again and that aspect for children too I think so I'm always like pushing like if your kid likes them just let them watch it let them let them take it in let explain things how you need to. My daughter asks millions of questions. How do they do that scene? Let me tell you special effects. How do they do that scene? Let me tell you about stunt work. She's interested in the right. inner mechanics too. So I don't know. I always go off topic. Sorry, that was totally off topic.
1: <laughs> I think it's entirely entirely germane to the conversation. I think it completely fits. Um I'm a big advocate of symbols are not just symbols. Mm-hmm. Symbols are the thing, and um, for being able to say, okay, you know, you can put the scary thing and insert that as a slasher as a monster, as you know, a, a plague or whatever it's going to be. You know, you have that thing in there, and then you watch the story of people yes suffering underneath it, and then pushing through and refusing to let it beat them. I think you know, seeing that that can be done even as symbolic in a fictional story on the screen is absolutely important. Um, you know my wife is native Uh, I have native background in my family as well but I mean she is uh, native in the sense that she still has a good portion of her relatives living on reservations in Ontario so uh, yeah Um, and she's been through watching her mother fight with, with having gone to uh uh well, naturalization school, so I forget the word of looking for. all of a sudden. Um, and her watching, you know, the, the damage that uh, her grandmother carried all the way through her life, watching the damage that is that her mother is still dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the generational trauma, that first, you know, Bonnie didn't have to go to go through that, but uh, you know, her mother did. So it's that recent for their family. Um, and just seeing the damage that done that you end up carrying with you uh, if they it, it, it produced a situation where her mother and grandmother wouldn't talk about the heritage, they wouldn't tell the stories, even the passed down stories, the the, the I hate to say folklore because I, I think more of it than that, but we're going to use it for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. placeholder term mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't told the folk folklore stories because of the beatings that her family received when sharing that you know saying anything native would Mm -hmm. happen um and because of that you end up with you know she battles being disconnected to all of that and you know she bears all of that trauma so now she consumes every bit of the culture she can come across um any uh you know even just native tiktok uh Mm -hmm. creators you know, that, that, that storytelling or jokes about what life is like on the mission or any of these things, just to have that connection that she should have had yeah. growing up in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's the same thing. And since I didn't get horror movies as a kid and that didn't get any of that kind of stuff, it was always just, oh, we don't talk about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the shows I would get about bullying would be on the Brady Bunch level. You know, right? Yeah. And it was just well, you just have to learn to talk to them. <laughs> like that. It's like it's hard to talk with a fist in your mouth. It's you know, yeah. I you, you don't to get those tools or any of these things that are frightening. You don't get a, a a way to really confront that. And what we got was so sugared down, like Saturday morning cartoons and '70s sitcoms and things like that. And you didn't see anybody represented as mm-hmm. any form of a member of the LGBTQIA. Unless it was a punchline. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, this is why I didn't come out till I was in my 40s. I knew I was transgender from the time I was six. I didn't dare come out until I was in my 40s and had already been married for 10 plus years. Um, Fortunately, I had exactly the right person I was partnered with. Didn't make a damn bit of difference. But (laughs) um, I have a happier story than a lot of people do. But, you know, if we just had the representation of movies like The Hunger... Mm -hmm. open for for public consumption even 10 years later um then my life would probably be a very different one a lot of people's lives would probably be very different just being able to see people just represented as people in love Mm -hmm. and just having a relationship and all the problems a, a weird relationship and abuse but you know people confronting that yeah we didn't know abusive relationships were a thing Cause I mean, even Archie Bunker was, was played for laughs. And yeah, that's
0: true.
1: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we didn't see that that was supposed to be something you might have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important. And I, I, I that's is why I, I, I laud people that do what you're doing for <laughs> your kid <laughs> <Thank> because you. <laughs> you're giving them those tools. I legitimately do feel that you're setting that person up for a much more functional life just by having a better picture of the real world that a lot of kids get, that's true, you know, oh,
0: well, thank you, yeah, I'm trying to teach her the ways of the world, and like I said with this movie, I think um especially for the l g b t q community, I think it's a really good movie to like I said, not even just come out when it did which it was great when it came out when it did, but I think it's definitely for it resonates today too, and I really like these kind of movies, um which was what I was trying to focus on for this month was more of LGBTQ, uh, LGTB, sorry, Q movies that um, don't, aren't just metaphorically aren't just used as metaphors. Um, I'm probably going to try to do one of those. So I can talk about that, but focus more on ones that it was just part of the story. The one I did previously monstrous. It's not, it's the same thing. It's just a story about two women who fall in love. And one of them is not who they say they are. And it's, Who's the real monster in that movie? But that's what I was trying to focus on was more of that aspect because and this movie is a perfect example of that. It's just part of the story. It's not forced. Like I said, it's not trying to make this a, a dirty thing because it's not a dirty thing at all. Right. It's a beautiful thing. So that's what I was trying to focus on for this month was more of that aspect. Is more of these kind of movies to show, I don't know, just bring to attention. So all I'm trying to do is just bring what I can to attention to my the people who listen to me, anything that's going on. And this is important. I think Pride Month is very important. So, and I'm trying to teach my daughter the best I can. Um, she's six, like I've told you many times. It's hard to kind of explain things to her in a way she can understand. So I do have to simplify it, but yeah, I'm trying my best, well, so thank you. <laughs> that
1: gives them something to work with at the time. And then when they have more questions, they'll come back with more questions. When oh, they're yeah. ready to hear more, they'll they always, from my experience, will make themselves available to, ask more questions and want to learn more um so i mean i remember and i'll i'll get off the topic but (laughs) i remember uh when i first transitioned um a friend of mine that i have known for 20 some years now i'm not going to think too hard about how long um (laughs) we go back is the (laughs) thing um because i only came out in 2016 so it's still relatively recent but um, when I transitioned, et etc., she was uh, talking something about. I think it was some of my leather work. She was showing to her youngest. I think was nine at the time. Said, uh, saying, "Hey, look, you're my my friend." And then she used my dead name out of habit, which just legitimately happens. Yeah. I don't have a, you know. She, uh, oh, I mean, and then she used my my real name. I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And she went to explain. Well. You know, they were born a boy, and then they realized they were a girl. So now they're a girl, and it's like, huh? Okay, what's for lunch? And that <laughs> was the entire conversation, yep. word for word. It was you know, oh, okay, and that was all she needed. Mm-hmm. And then you know, when it was when she got a little older, she started asking questions. Uh, she's discovered that that she's non-binary. She does use she bag So, mm-hmm. um, but it's just like oh, oh, okay, that is a thing. Cool. Mm-hmm. So she had no issues coming to mom and talking. Hey, look, this is what's going on with me. Um, whereas as accepting as my parents were, particularly my mother, um, n- mom never knew. Uh, I never c- clearly came up for kind of aspects about it that she knew about, but um, she passed before that whole thing happened. Um, dad was the one I was really expecting to have issues with. Um, for the longest time, especially since i was it looked for like I was going to be the only male child in the whole family that was going to be able to carry the name on, right, which I really don't care about that whole archaic notion, but I knew it meant something to them, so I was like, okay, this is something I have to do, and so that well no you no, know, coming out for me because that 'll wreck that whole you know um, and it turns out that I just when it came time for Bonnie and I to get married, I never bothered. We just kept the name because it was easier for all of the immigration and everything because she's from Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I don't want to fight a name change and this all of the same, you know, all right, just Ritz is, it, 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 that's what it is. We'll just keep that. Now it's just like, who cares? You don't care. Um, but yeah, so there's so much pressure and I love now that all the legislation is trying to make things harder for trans and non-bi- non-binary kids. I love that people are fighting now, which is something that's never happened, unless they were people directly in the community themselves mm-hmm. um, fighting for their own transition and their own identity. The fighting just didn't happen, you know or yeah, so now we you know that's why movies like this are are even more important now is, is you can show that we're not new mm-hmm. we didn't this didn't just start five years ago, <laughs> you know
0: You're right. um.
1: And having these beautiful, positive stories to share about things like this, fantastic.
0: Like, is fantastic. I need more movies like this. Um, before I wrap it up, actually, um, I was just going to say, and your wife probably knows this, um, this aspect has been around for thousands of years because Native Americans always considered them two-spirited. It was never considered mm-hmm. anything wrong or unnatural. We always looked at them and they actually were kind of revered and put up there as you were, they were highly respected people and they were just called two-spirited and no one thought anything different so i'm like if the native americans could do it for thousands of years we can we can do it too people like come on yep like like this hasn't this is not not like i said been around and yeah so i'm glad that we have like i said the movies like the hunger coming out and i think we're having more positive movies that are coming out and not having to use the lgbtq aspect as a metaphor like i said but actually put it as part of the story and again Make it something beautiful because that's what the hunger is. It's just a beautiful movie. So, I mean, I like I said, I covered everything I wanted to talk about. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before I wrap it up?
1: I think we pretty well pretty well hit on everything I had to say. It's definitely worth a uh, watch or rewatch. Um, this is one I'm going to have to add physically to my my collection because I'm going to want to keep going back.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm definitely going to have to watch it again because it was it was really good not sure. I want, I mean, I'll definitely let my daughter watch it. The only time I let her, I have her close her eyes is during nude scenes. Cause it's kind of hard to explain any, like anything sexual going on right now. Cause she's just, it's going to be way over her head. That's the only thing I may, I, I try not to, I'm like, I can't explain this. So that's the only thing I don't, but she can watch it. I just would be like, okay, they're getting, just cover your eyes for now. Just cause you know, I can't explain <laughs> it. But other than that, I'm not, a, it's not cause it's a crude thing. It's just, I can't explain it to her in a way that she can fully understand it and be like, yeah, oh, okay. Like you said, what's for lunch, (laughs) you know?
1: Exactly. And that's just a good that's just a matter of knowing your kid too.
0: Yes, exactly. You know,
1: that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. I think that's taking a good approach.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Um, thank you again for joining me here in Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, mental health within horror movies again thank you ruby for joining me on my show i have been wanting you on my show for a long time now so thank
1: you. <laughs> well thank <laughs> you so much for having me i really so enjoyed much it.
0: fun <laughs> hope you enjoyed the <laughs> show again thank you all for listening and i just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy so thank you